2: a limo on a darky, a troubled young man, a backpack full of secrets. This is Radio Drama Revival. Hey folks, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. This week we're diving into Darkest Night, the horror podcast from the Paragon Collective that just concluded its second season. It's narrated by Lee Pace, star of Stage and Screen. You may know him as the protagonist of Halt and Catch Fire on AMC, or from the wonderful dark comedy Pushing Daisies, or as the heavily made-up villain Ronan the Accuser in the first Guardians of the Galaxy film. Darkest Night is an anthology series. The stories are pearls in a strand, united by this creepy, overarching frame narrative involving a sinister research project. Project Cyclops, a program that enables scientists to relive a dead person's final moments. The story is recorded with a binaural microphone, basically a, a very fancy foam head with microphones in each ear, that you're meant to be placed inside the point of view of the person in question. I want to play episode 6 for you today, so the frame narrative is going to seem a little opaque. But suffice it to say, there are two scientists, John Kinsler and Katie Reed, who are confronted by the inhumanity of Project Cyclops, but must continue the experiment and document their findings nevertheless. This episode also stars Michelle Visage, whom you may recognize as a judge on RuPaul's Drag Race. Ru's in Darkest Night 2, but not in this episode. And you'll hear more about the production's connection to the two of them After the feature, when I talk to series director and producer Alex Aldea. This episode is called Horns Limo Service, and I think it's a very good exemplar for the series and its approach to horror. So, my children,
1: buckle up.
3: Roth Lobdo Center for Advanced Research, Project Cyclops, day six, about to begin. Entering the laboratory now.
4: Hmm. I wasn't sure I was going to see you this morning that device still in your purse?
3: I have to, John. You know I have to.
4: You don't have to do anything.
3: I told you yesterday. The bills, my uncle. I I need to keep all of my options open. You said it yourself. Information on Project Cyclops would be worth a lot to another company.
4: <sighs> Just remember what I said. John. I'm serious. I'm not a snitch. You probably noticed I like to keep my mouth shut around here. You do what you have to do. Just leave me out of it. I promise. As long as my name stays clear, we don't have a problem.
3: I know, I know. Plausible deniability.
4: You know, the more time you spend incriminating me, the more time you'll have to spend editing my name out of these recordings.
3: Are you sure? You don't know how much this could all be worth.
4: It's not worth my risking my pension. Thirty-five years of paychecks is worth something, too.
3: I can't wait thirty-five years. Not for my uncle, I can't. I understand that, Katie. Just please, be smart about this. So what happens now?
4: Now you prep the sample.
3: I mean what happens with us.
4: Look, as far as you, me, or anybody else out there is concerned, nothing has changed. We have a job to do. Let's do it. Who do we have today?
3: Looks like a male.
4: Looks like? Jesus.
3: Head is almost totally crushed. Let's see if I can even... Got it.
4: I'll document while you extract. Project Cyclops, Trial 5, Charlie 2. Timestamp is registering correctly. Initiating playback in 3, 2, 1. Initiate.
5: Jamison.
6: Yeah. Yeah. Everyone calls me Jamie. You're my driver?
5: How else would I know your name?
1: The wait times for an Uber or a taxi were too long, so he'd called Horn's Limo Service. They promised to be there within ten minutes. The car that pulled up in front of Jamie Billings was nothing like he'd expected. It was an older Lincoln Continental. A girl with a twisted smile sat behind the steering wheel in a black business suit.
6: Good point. I need to get to, to Mercy, Mercy General, General North. North.
5: So, what? get in.
6: Oh, uh, it's locked?
5: Sit up front for later. Huh. Trust me.
6: Okay. Uh, this is my first time.
5: Driving someplace?
6: No, using a Lumo service. I usually drive everywhere. Do people normally sit in the front of these?
5: No, but like I said, it's where you'll want to be. Buckle your seatbelt.
6: Right. Sorry.
5: What happened to your car?
6: Wouldn't start, so I'm trapped here when I need to be across town. Since when do limo companies use cars like this?
5: 67 Lincoln Continentals? They don't. I do. Oh, right.
6: Sorry, I'm... distracted.
1: Jamie tried to keep the thought of his brother dying before he got to the hospital out of his mind.
5: I can tell. You ready? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I don't have to take you. You could just get out and we can act like you never called.
6: No. No, I need to go. No one else can make it in time, so I've gotta.
5: Well, sounds like you have a good story to tell. That's good, because I do too. You sure you're ready, Jameson? Yeah. Great. Let's get your first limo ride started. You're never gonna forget it. What's your name? Lucy.
1: Jamie looked out the window as Lucy drove away from his complex, merging with traffic easily. At the corner of his apartment, where most cars got stuck trying to turn for several minutes, a spot opened right up for her.
6: That never happens. No? No. Lucky me. You know how to get to Mercy General North, right?
5: Yeah, I was there last night. For a fair? Something like that. Cool. Yeah, cool.
1: Jamie looked over at Lucy, but Lucy was focused on driving and didn't bother to acknowledge his stare. They drove in silence for a few minutes until Jamie caught a glimpse of a 76 coming up.
5: Can you pull into that- 76? Sure, meter's running.
1: Jamie pulled on the door handle, but- Can you unlock it?
5: Nah, all the locks are busted. Just pull the unlocked tab, it's by your shoulder.
0: anything else? No. It's uh, 321. 79 cents. This receipt. No. Thanks. Come again. What'd you get? Just the monster. Let's go.
1: Lucy pulled out of the parking spot and back onto the road.
5: Oh, by the way, the name of the guy laying down in the back seat is Rick. Rick, this is Jamie. <laughs>
6: Funny
0: wasn't joking.
1: Jamie started to turn his head toward the back seat, but...
0: (laughs) Let's not make that mistake a second time, Jamie. Second time will cost you a bullet. You hit me in the eye! Yeah, I know. The world's a crappy place. What do you want from me? To
5: get out of the car? Boys! Let's all calm down. We've got a bit of a drive ahead of us. If
0: you want my wallet, fine. Take it!
5: I don't want your wallet. And he's not with me.
0: I don't want your wallet either. Unless you got a lot of cash. Do you? No. Right. No one carries cash these days. So what we're gonna do is drive to an ATM, and then we're gonna have you make several withdrawals. So, which bank we headed to? Look, I'm really trying to get
6: to the hospital. I need to see my brother. I have to see my brother. Right.
0: Uh, right. I'll make a deal with you. Okay. 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 Good. So what we're gonna do is go to your bank, you're gonna pull out as much money as you can until the ATM cuts you off, and then we're gonna go to the Cabby's bank and we're gonna do the same thing. And do you know what you get in exchange for all that? Do ya? No. no. What do I get? What you get is I won't push the barrel of this gun against the back of your skull, pull the trigger. And watch your face paint the inside of the shit-heap's windshield. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck are you laughing at? You! <laughs> yeah, yeah, what about me?
5: This isn't a shit-heap. It's a classic in immaculate condition. Gonna make a killing when I get rid of it. One other thing. Yeah? I don't have a bank account.
0: <laughs> Bullshit, everyone's got a bank account.
5: You sure about that?
0: Yeah, well, I'll just take your car then.
5: Right into the sunset.
0: What's wrong with you?
5: Nothing. Just telling the truth. Now, are we ready to raise the stakes and start having a bit more fun?
0: What the hell
1: is she talking about? No clue. Well,
0: luckily, I have the right tool for the job.
1: Rick pressed the gun into the back of Lucy's head.
0: Looky there. Perfect fit.
6: Rick, come on. If you shoot her, we'll crash and then all of us will die. You too, man.
0: Yeah, well, I think it might be worth a shot. (laughs) She goes again. What the fuck is so funny?
5: You are Rick Conti.
1: No one said anything for a few seconds. Jamie started to open his mouth, but closed it. Rick just stared at the back of Lucy's head. She kept her eyes on the road, but that twisted smile still hung on her face. Jamie thought the darkness outside of the car increased twofold. Jesus.
5: (laughs) Not in this car, Jameson Billings. You should really give your parents a call. What? Don't you think Martin and Denise should know what your brother did?
0: I... I... Shut up! How do you know my name?
5: I know everything there is to know about you, Rick. Have you ever wondered what happened to Katie? (sighs) Katie...
0: What? You know who took her?
5: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. Who was it? I'll make a deal with you, okay? Okay. When the time comes, I'm gonna ask you to do something. You're gonna do that thing automatically and without question. Do you know what you get in exchange for all that? (laughs) Do you? No. What? I won't make you push the barrel of that gun against the back of your throat. Pull the trigger and watch the back of your skull paint the inside of this classic's back window.
0: Why would I put a gun in
1: my own... (coughs) Jamie turned around to see a thin, pale man looking back at him with terrified eyes as he pressed a gun to the back of his throat.
5: Or maybe I will. (laughs) Only the devil
1: knows. (coughs) Rick pulled the gun out of his mouth and tossed it down in the seat next to him, staring at it like it might come to life all on its own. Who are you?
5: Bet you'll guess my name.
1: No one attempted to guess as the car drove. After a few moments, the back seat came alive with the sounds of frantic movement. Come
0: on, come on! Come on!
1: As Jamie watched Rick throwing himself around the rear seat, kicking at the door and window, he had a thought. You said the locks were busted. Did I? Yeah. So how did he get in?
5: The door
6: was
0: unlocked. She didn't even turn around when I slid in. So the locks weren't busted. So you lied. <laughs>
5: Oh, no. Not lying. That just won't do. Do you want to talk about some of the lies you've told yourself recently? What? Let me put it in a different way. Tell me some of the lies you've told in the past, oh, I don't know, 24 hours.
1: Jamie opened his mouth to tell Lucy that she couldn't make him do anything he didn't want to. That she was crazy. That she should pull over so he could get out of the car. Something very different spilled out, though.
6: The guy in the corner doesn't need my money. I hope you have a nice day. Hey, sorry, I'm really busy right now, so I can't come pick you up. Yeah, work has me swamped. Can we catch up next week? It's okay, I'll call you. He'll sleep this off. He'll be fine in the morning. I hope he doesn't die.
1: Tears came to Jamie's eyes as the last few lies spilled out. He had said them all while talking on the phone to his brother, right before his brother apparently overdosed.
5: I can see that you're real big on the truth. Rick, do you want to go next? No. You'll go soon enough, but I suppose we can wait. So boys, now both of you know that the locks on this car work just fine. Interesting, right? Not really. Exactly. So what question should you both be asking?
1: Rick and Jamie looked at each other. Neither one of them knew what she was talking about.
5: Hmm, good point. Let's get that adrenaline pumping first. That should help you think better. What are you...
1: Ahead was an intersection where a cop car idled at a stoplight, and a woman in a stroller was walking across the crosswalk.
5: Ooh, you're gonna love this. Make your choice. What? Make your choice. Between what? The woman or the stroller. I can't... I can't choose! Sure you can! Which am I hitting? I don't! If you don't choose,
0: I'll hit both. Hit the woman. The woman hit the woman. I can't. Pink! The woman hit the woman!
1: The woman noticed the car barreling toward her and froze, letting go of the stroller. It rolled forward across the crosswalk. Lucy swerved toward the woman and just clipped her. (laughs) Jamie could hear a scream from the other side of the glass as the woman flew, cartwheeling through the air like a girl at a gymnastics class. She landed on the pavement in front of the cop car and didn't move. Rick was staring out the back window, watching as a semi plowed through the stroller.
0: <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, just cans of beer. The stroller was filled with cans of beer.
1: Jamie tore his eyes from the fizzing cans of beer in the street, looking into the side view mirror to see if the woman was all right. She hadn't moved.
5: Great choice, Jamie. So is that two people in the last 24 hours? Shut up. Maybe we should get your count higher.
1: Oh,
0: see, look, this is almost finished. It won't be long before that cop is on us. Oh, no, he won't. You just murdered a lady in front of him. Of course he will.
5: Correction,
0: you murdered a lady
5: in front of him. By the way, did you happen to sneak a glance at him as we rolled by?
6: No, but that doesn't matter. Even if he has to
0: send for help, he'll have called it in. I, I saw him. And? and? And it looked like we, we startled him. How do you mean? He was clutching his chest. <laughs> that wasn't from
5: surprise. Officer Strand is no longer one of our city's finest.
1: Jamie closed his eyes. He hadn't seen the officer, but he could tell that Lucy was telling the truth.
5: All right, let's keep this thing moving. I've got other appointments to make. So boys, what questions should you both be asking? I
1: don't know. I
6: just need to see my brother.
5: We can work with that. Rick?
6: Uh-huh?
5: Rick! Rick! Pay attention! Jamie just said that he needs to get to the hospital to see his brother.
0: Oh, sorry, Jamie.
5: Okay, that's a great start. Let's keep this going. Jamie? What? Tell Rick about your brother. He
0: overdosed last
1: night. Rick grew very still. (sighs) What was he using?
6: Warm. Heroin was always his favorite, but probably anything he could get his hands on.
0: (sighs) Where'd he stay at? Warm,
6: huh? Up north, right off Plimpton. (laughs) Shit.
0: What was his name? Warmer? Nicholas. You're Nikki's brother? You're on fire!
6: How do you know my brother? Why did you
0: put us in the same car? Did he hire you for this?
5: Answer his question, Rick!
0: Tell the truth. I sold him that shitty od on. Jesus!
1: The car slowed to a stop at a red light.
0: Rick, you can
5: go now.
1: Rick attempted to unlock the door to the left and then the door to the right. Neither budged. When he looked up at Lucy, she just shrugged.
5: Use the door in the seat.
1: It's the door in... Rick's eyes went blank as he reached out and picked up the gun from the seat, not hesitating for an instant as he jammed it into his mouth and pulled the trigger.
5: Use your words, Jamie. I... Green light! There's the hospital.
6: Why are you doing this?
5: We made a deal. You and I never made a deal! Nikki and I made a deal. Last night. What was the deal? He gave me the thing I always ask for, and all I had to do was take care of the guy that sold in the bed drugs, take care of the woman that left him there when he started seizing, and deliver his brother to him. We're coming up on the hospital really fast. Yeah, I've got a delivery to make, Jamie. Slow down! Can't do that. Unbuckle your seatbelt.
1: To Jamie's horror... His hands did Lucy's bidding without hesitation. The car barreled toward the low concrete wall that was just shorter than the grill of the Continental. Twenty feet beyond that was the hospital.
5: You know what I love about these old cars? No airbags. Shit! <laughs> Time to fly, Jamie boy! <laughs>
4: a bit of a rough one.
3: Really? That was Disney Channel stuff compared to everything else we've seen.
4: But this one hits a little close to home.
3: What? Oh, God. I'm so sorry, John. I didn't put two and two together with the car crash. I wasn't even thinking about your daughter. I didn't mean to sound so glib. No,
4: it's okay. She went almost the same way. She didn't have her seatbelt on either only because she was in my car and I never bothered to get the damn thing fixed.
3: John. Do you want to see a picture of her?
4: And they say nobody takes a good driver's license photo.
3: She's gorgeous. 5'10", 120, hazel eyes. Just like yours. Sometimes
4: I wonder who wound up with them.
3: Somebody very lucky.
4: I hope it wasn't anybody like us.
2: That was Horns limo Service, episode 6 of Darkest Night, starring Lee Pace as the narrator, Dennis O'Hare as John Kinsler, Bryn Langford as Katie Reed, Casey Adler as Jameson, Chris McKenna as Rick, and Michelle Visage as Lucy. It was written by Christopher Bloodworth and Jimmy Giuliano, directed and produced by Alex Aldea and Victor Figueroa, with music composed by Aldea and Andrew Jocelyn. I got the chance to chat with Alex, the director and producer of this series. Alex and I don't necessarily agree on everything when it comes to the state of the medium, but I think you'll enjoy listening to our conversation about the show's origins, what makes things scary, and a moral theory of horror. Matt, take it away. Alex, welcome to Radio Drama Revival. Hey, nice to meet you, David. It is a pleasure to have you here. It's nice to meet you, too. Yeah, man. So, my understanding of the origin of Darkest Night, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it starts with metal and the music of Jamie Jasta of Hatebreed, you used to um, produce Jamie Jasta's podcast, correct?
7: Yeah. So I have a, I have a small podcast network called Paragon Collective. I, I always kind of wanted to be a musician. I played music in high school and college um, and before. And um, the funny thing is like when in Seattle, all my friends started getting successful. And then they were like, oh, well, we don't have anyone to help us negotiate deals or this and that. And as the Jewish person in the group, I took that <laughs> – and the person who just did everything—I was such—I'm a really independent dude. So when I play music, I'd be writing all the records, I'd be recording all the records, I'd be mixing all the records, I'd be booking all the dates, I'd be doing all the deals. You—you you worked as a booker. Yeah, and I started managing comics and after college, and um, I got pretty decent. Instead of like going and working for like a big company, I just worked for a small one, worked my way up. Where I was managing people at 22 and living off of it and doing pretty well, and then I got pretty depressed and when i was like done with managing it was either work as a booking agent for like you know very successful but very troubled comics um at a pretty successful company that would have paid very well or like i just started like for one of my smaller clients he just wanted to do a podcast and he was at a crappy network and then i was like why don't we just start doing out of my house and i got some gear and we started having all these awesome people just like come to my shitty little fucking ghetto apartment (laughs) Like I had like Bud Friedman, like the owner of the improv, just like coming in and sharing his whole life story. And it was like, this is this is the kind of energy I want to be around. Uh, so when I started getting into podcasting, I wrote the CEO of Earwolf at the time, like an email being like, I love what you're doing. I read all these articles about you. I'd love to like pick your head. And I told him like, hey, I want to get into podcasting. And he, he you know, he eventually offered me a job. and It was a fraction of what I would have made elsewhere. But I just really wanted to learn. Um, I sat there for three months. I was like, you know, this doesn't vibe with my philosophy. I signed Ice-T as my first client and started a company. Um, All right. (laughs) um, And that was like three and a half years ago. And it's taken a long time to build, but it's cool. It's been pretty much just me. And I work on whatever I've wanted to. So. I feel like I've worked on more random shit in podcasting than probably anyone else.
2: So you you were producing these shows and you had this talent coming in and you had this connection to the music world which is how we get into the the world of metal. Can you can you draw a through line from that to Darkest Night?
7: Yeah, I can. Uh but I feel like my world's much bigger than that. You know what I'm saying? Like uh Sure. I I think with with the Darkest Night thing where it came about in reality, is like as a producer, I gravitate towards whatever I want to do and people who I like. And so when I started three and a half years ago in podcasting, it was the whitest, most vanilla. Like I write for Macworld and let me talk to all my other Macworld friends about why the new iOS update doesn't suit my needs. <laughs> you know, that's like what was making money in podcasting at the time. And I was working with Ice-T. I was working with RuPaul. I had, like, a YouTube name, Kixley. I did, like, Reddit's podcast. And, like, I feel like the one thing that kind of united all of them was, like, this feeling of otherness and being us against the man. And uh, Jamie was actually, like, good friends with Ice and was a fan of Ice's podcast. And randomly just one day called me, and I was a huge hate breed fan.
2: What's their sound like? I'm pretty unfamiliar.
7: It's a very like I I was used to be a big metal guy like one of my first bands was like a death metal band when I was like in middle school. <laughs> but they're like a very American hardcore like they're, they're like, the quintessential like American hardcore group. Um so it's like very simple, very 4/4, a lot of like power chords and breakdowns, but like Jamie's thing has always been about like putting these really positive lyrics and like using this kind of anger as a sense to pick yourself up and empower yourself. So if you look at all their songs, it's like, all right, fuck the haters. I'm going to do my stuff. Fuck the haters. I'm going to believe in myself. Fuck the haters. I'm something, you know, it was, it's a very positive group. Um, and even how he approached writing, man, like his whole thing was like, if when you write a song and you want to write a heavy song, you have to write it on a shitty $50 acoustic guitar. And if it sounds like crap on a shitty $50 acoustic guitar, it's not worth playing through your great metal amp and Schecter and all this crap. Sure.
2: I believe that about everything, yeah.
7: I fucking admired the shit out of him as, like, a 13 and 14-year-old. And so even though I'm sure, like, in this business, like, a lot of people are so much about money and this and that, like, it was just great to fucking spend so much time and learn his process and learn how he does things and then – At the end of the day, he's also like the nicest dude. So I I was really grateful for Jamie. And um, with Darkest Night, I knew I wanted to do something different. I knew I wanted to do something more high-produced, and I wasn't even sure about audio dramas. And I basically made like three big signings. One was like my main production. One was called like Case File. And um, I started working on Case File, and I grew that show. When I started working with that show, it was getting about – 25,000 downloads an episode. And when I stopped, it was at about 900,000, but I realized I love the production of it, but, but fuck the economics of it, that team, the using real murder stories and making money off of it. it just like felt really gross. And I was, and we basically just had a falling out and I was like, okay, what do I really want to do? Uh, the case file guys, uh, the rest of the team, Again, we're, we're awesome saying like, Hey, you know, man, if you're, if you're going to do this, a new thing, like we'll help you, we'll help promote it a little bit. Everybody else who I worked with helped me promote a little bit. And originally, like we came up with this idea because I love this production stuff. I love what no sleep is doing. I feel like there could be a cool other little element in the space and there's room for it. Why not just give it a shot? And Jamie had some convo with Rob zombie about, um, possibly doing something. And he was like, yeah, send me something. So we basically got together, I I reached out to David, and he set me up with Chris Bloodworth, who's, who's awesome. And when
2: we say David, we're talking about David Cummings, the host of No Sleep, which emerged out of a Reddit, like a subreddit community, and then became its own very popular podcast.
7: Oh, have you had David on here yet?
2: I have not. Oh, I have – so I've I've traditionally had a lot of inertia with horror because I scare super easy. And so the idea of like, oh, here's a thing that's going to get stuck in your head for like years and years has been – like it's been very difficult for me to get over that hump. It was like very difficult for me to get over the hump of like listening to this show. And when yeah. I started listening to Darkest Night, I immediately enjoyed it. Like I think it's really campy and gross and fun. But I have a lot of inertia because I scare so easy.
7: For sure. For sure. But, you know, like I, I think with David – You know, um, I think that like and again, I love that you that you've like kept this platform going to really like prop up audio drama creators and people in this space and tell these stories. And that's (laughs) really fucking cool of you. Um, Thank you. Yeah, man. And I'm really appreciative and I love like the Archive 81 episode and going through a lot of the stuff you've been doing. And I think David's story is, dude, he's he's fucking so cool, man. And he's really built an empire out of fucking nothing in rural Canada, right? And yeah, like, no, it's really, it's really
2: astounding what he's done.
7: Yeah. And, and I work with David on the business end of things and it's like, dude, just in the last year from like basically sold out us tours, like all this stuff, like I, it's crazy to me, like the kind of calls I get for, for no sleep and everything, you know, like that's something from the internet is attracting these kind of people to it and that they get it, you know? Yeah. And David's like one of those dudes that if you work with Cummings, he will always take care of you. He will always try to help you in any way he can. And he builds like this really amazing energy that's so like nurturing and loving with no, no sleep and everybody in it, dude. And so when I was like, Hey, this is something I want to do. He's like, what can I do to help? What do you need? How can I be a part of it? And just being like, Really just, like, the most menschy person of all time. Like, such a good dude.
2: <laughs> so is he how he set you up with Chris and Miguel and Jimmy and Johnny? Or did those people all come from different directions?
7: Chris, he set me up with Chris. Miguel and Johnny and I have been, like, really close friends for, like, three years. And um, we always kind of wanted to do something together. And they're really in horror. And um, basically we had this idea of just doing, like, a pilot episode and then sending it to Rob Zombie. And so the first episode was actually episode eight. Uh, basically we sent that to Rob Zombie and just heard nothing back. And all the four of us were just like, Hey, this is cool. Let's try to expand this and, and, and do it. And so we just, uh, we, we thought we were doing something cool and special with the binaural and everything else. And we felt like we knew how to market this and we felt like we had a shot and we sent this same pilot to shutter and they got it instantly. And they were like, Hey man, you know, We understand that this is going to be really expensive to do. We'll give you a nest egg to just cover everything up for the first season. And we released the episodes a week early there and and, uh, we'll be your sole advertiser. And they were behind us like from day one before we had any celebrity talent attached or anything.
2: You know, that's fantastic. And I assume that gave you the momentum to say like, "Hey, Lee Pace, Hey RuPaul." Well, I mean, RuPaul was and Michelle Visage were probably easier gets because they were already part of the network. But yeah,
7: no, I've I've been working with Ru for three years, and and we have that relationship where, "Hey man, he that if that man wants my kidney, I don't ask questions, I'll give it to him." <laughs> sure. <laughs> and I'm I'm I don't know if he'd give me my kidney, but he'd certainly give me thirty minutes of his time for a horror podcast. <laughs> Sure. So what inspired you to record this
2: podcast binaurally? I looked up the Neumann dummy head binaural mic that you use, uh, you know, and I've been hearing about these things for a long time. I've talked with a couple of people that have tried to make their own for binaural recordings. Um, how did you encounter this thing and why did you why did you want to access that kind of intimacy for this sort of audio horror?
7: Well, I felt OK, so this is what I felt like before Darkest Night. These were my market assumptions. And again, like they're going to be very negative and please don't take them negatively. Just I think when you're trying to start a new business or a new project, you have to always think about what the marketplace is lacking and what you think you can bring and do differently, you know? And, and so I feel like when Gimlet started, it was a whole thing of maybe radio journalism doesn't have to be so douchey, <laughs> you know, like maybe we could talk about real stories That are in the style of planet money, but not about like NPR crap. And that's how Gimlet got started and that he was going to actually pay people fairly and have high production that was lacking from the marketplace outside of NPR. And that's how they started, right? That's like the Gimlet ethos. And I think my ethos is that I want to give voices and say things that aren't a being said in podcasts, B are being said in a way that doesn't take itself too seriously. That, if you really listen to a lot of the stuff going on in Darkest Night or any of the other things I work on, there's a lot of deep shit. But you have to want to see it, and you have to want to get it. And it, and things that are really deep, you have to say with a laugh. You have to say with a. You have to say with a scare.
2: Why Why do you feel that way?
7: Because most people can't handle it. Most people, you know that song, the bed song. It's like all about how we can be complacent and not ask questions and feel alone, and is things for worse or for better, and then at the end we just die. And And our tombstones will look at our partner and be like, what was wrong the whole time? And it was just that you never asked. (laughs) But at the end of the day, like you need a song to tell someone that you can't just go to someone and be like, you're fucking asleep. There's so much out here. There's so much to take. There's so much to see. There's so much to feel. And you don't have to, you don't have to justify feeling strongly. You don't have to justify feeling alone. You don't have to justify anything. You can just be you. And in, in all the pain and all the great things in your life are meant to be there. So in
2: order to get it across, you kind of have to deliver it sideways.
7: Yeah, of course. That's what that's I think that's a cornerstone of every piece of great literature or music or anything. So my goals were to give voices to others. My goals were to help people who felt like others. And the goal were to make things palatable. So I feel like with audio dramas in the past. And again, I love the medium, but it's like I love comedy, too. And I feel like if you're really, really into comedy, you're not going to look at American comedy. You're going to find like these great British stand-ups and these great British sitcoms and these things from all over the world and this and that. And that's awesome as a fan. But at the same time, your everyday Joe who works at 7-Eleven is not going to get Yes Minister. You know what I'm saying? OK. They're not going to get Rumpold the Bailey. But. You can take those same things that happen in Rumpel the Bailey and some of the same things that are great and put it in something like Friends or Curb Your Enthusiasm that are quicker, that are basically meat around the pill. So when when I look at audio dramas now or before with Darkest Night, what I was trying to accomplish was, A, I felt like they felt very slow. People have to listen so intently. It doesn't leave a lot of room for ADD. It doesn't feel very rich. And it doesn't suspend disbelief enough or put you there enough like a lot of them. Um, And I think even a lot of the great like pinnacle audio dramas even right now are things that are too – like you can stick in front of an 8-year-old girl. I'm trying to think of things I got as an 8-year-old I loved. Um, Like The Shining. I could dig that as an 8-year-old. Okay. Like that's a classic piece of cinema. But realistically, it's like very quick – it's got a certain pacing to it. It's still got things behind the scenes and intelligent things, but it's still wrapped in packaging that is familiar enough to get someone who's not used to that level of content through it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. You needed to, you wanted to install some kind of training wheels on the form for an audience that wasn't used to it.
7: Yeah. And and I think that this is happening more and more in podcasting, but I think like so with Darkest Night, you'll notice it's very fucking quick. I know like for us, Lee Paces and narrators are like a cornerstone of the show. I know in A D it's a whole thing of narrator versus non narrator, and it's really everybody saying non narrator. And that's fine for you. You know, everybody has their own thing. But for me, in terms of getting stories out quicker and having less restrictions, I fucking love it. And to keep the pacing up,
2: you know? Sure, it's a lo- it's a load-bearing
7: element within the script. Yeah. And then I think another thing with Darkest Night 2 is, like, the music, you know, like, and the Foley. So we record, I'd say about 70% of all, of all our Foley ourselves. Sure. Because
2: I wanted to ask about um, the car crash sounds that you made. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I, I think I read in a Reddit AMA that you used your own car to create those car crash sounds. So I've
7: had, I just got a new car. Uh-huh. Um <laughs> <laughs> and before that, I have had my 2006 Hyundai Elantra since high school. I love that thing to death. But it's it's like me, man. Like I'm the kind of dude where like, yo, if something needs to happen. You got to take a beating. You take a beating for the team. So like when we had people falling downstairs and shit, like Victor and I – and uh, Victor is also a uh, producer and foley artist in, in, uh, uh, on Darkest Night. And he's like my mm-hmm. my producer partner in crime. Love Victor to death, but when it come when it came time to like recreate certain things, like obviously falling downstairs, like most people would just use a stock sound effect, but I I'd, I'd fucking fall downstairs. <laughs> like, so it's getting kicked sure. in the stomach. Like yeah, I'm gonna try and fake that, but I'm also gonna take a take of Victor kicking me in the stomach and see if that sounds good. Good
2: lord, how did it <laughs> sound?
7: Uh, we used it in the third episode this season. It was I. It wasn't great. The stairs sounds sounded awesome. Like I did like a bunch of takes of me just falling down flights of stairs. Uh, oh one day, like, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. I, you, you, should, you should. We should literally have just asked Victor about all like the terrible things I've been like, bro. I'm your boss, but you have to do these terrible things to me right now. And I just hope you at least get to enjoy it a little bit. <laughs> oh so you took the Elantra. We took the Elantra, and. Basically, uh, there's two sounds that we really had to hit. Is like the the hitting of the the hitting of the people, and then the hitting of the shopping cart and all of that jazz, right? So the woman, what we basically did is uh, we went behind Johnny and Miguel's alley, Victor and I, and uh, we got a whole bunch of shit to throw at my car uh, while I was zooming past. <laughs> So, so like basically all of us were, we're just like smoking, chilling. And then I just drive past my car and be like bag of apples. And then we just tossed out. How's that sound? Traffic code. Boom. How does that sound? And we tried so many things um, and we just did it. And then with the shopping cart, we stole a shopping cart from a Safeway. We filled it full of Mountain Dew and uh, we went near Victor's house in South Central at like two in the morning and I just rammed a shopping cart at 50 miles an hour. <laughs> God, <laughs> <laughs> Worth it. Yeah, dude. I thought it sounded, <laughs> I, I thought it was totally worth it, man. I thought it sounded awesome. And like, honestly, man, I, people would like, you know, Johnny would be, you know, not Johnny, but like some of our other friends would be like, yo, what happened to your car? And I'd be like, well, I, I, <laughs> We were throwing this and this on it to get certain sounds. (laughs) And it's like – I thought it was my badge of honor because, I mean, that car was about to go anyway. But, like, I love this job. I love doing this shit. And I'll do whatever it takes to get the best thing possible. And I look at, like, that little mark on my car from those two little incidents is like we got some of the best sounds of that possible.
2: So the best sound for a a car crash is you crashing your car. The best sound for someone getting – Tossed down the stairs is you throwing yourself down the stairs. Yeah, I mean. I would like to say for our younger listeners, sound effects libraries are also a thing. Also a very (laughs) practical option. Yeah,
7: and I I know. You don't necessarily
2: (laughs) need to follow this man's man's path. Dangerous and enticing, though it may seem.
7: Yeah, no, I think what's more important to take away from someone like me is not necessarily what I did, but my thought process to get there.
2: Sure. So what, what are you thinking when you want to have, so let's say, I don't know, I'm pursued by jackals and one of them, you know, pins me to the ground and then tears open my stomach. How do you generate that sound?
7: Oh man. Um, okay. Jackals chasing you. And then, but the
2: only sound I want to focus on, you know, let's say we've got the, the yipping and we've got the, the ragged breathing and we've got the, the fall, we've got like the collapse, we've got the little dog feet or whatever. I want just the one, the one like layered moment sound of like the evisceration. What do you do to generate that? What goes into a moment like that?
7: So I would probably think about like two things. What does this actually sound like in real life? And what do I kind of like want it to sound like? Because those two things are not, are usually a little bit different. Yeah. I imagine in real life it wouldn't be that interesting sounding, right? Yeah. Yeah. It would probably feel. Like the real visceral stuff, what you probably get would be the, the texture of the flesh. Like, cause I'm thinking about this in my head. Like I remember, uh, I saw one time, a, a lion kill a hippo or was it a hip? I forget what animal it was. It was some, it was a lion eating some sort of animal. And I was like a hundred feet away from this, this group of lions basically eating this thing alive. And I remember the initial kill and the tearing isn't very loud it's kind of wet the 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 stuff that sticks with you from that memory is like the texture and the squishing and the moving everything around but the tearing wasn't what was loud what was loud was this animal screaming and then becoming one with the process of what was going on because it eventually did like it, it became okay with it in a weird way right Sorry, we're go- I'm going in. No, no, no. But the squishing sounds and the intestinal sounds and that eating was is what sticks with you. So the way I would think about it is you have to have like that – I would probably get some sort of intestines, some sort of ground beef type thing. I would get a lot of those types of meats, a lot of things that have that very much texture to it, play around with it, combine it, see what I like, see what I don't. But at the same time, I think because it's audio only and that you still want – that this is the moment something happens, right? Because realistically that moment of you getting your gut eaten out is a lot longer than people care to think it is, right? You have to make it a five second thing maximum. So you need something, you need a very high end sound in there to kind of play up the cinematic element of it. So I would feel like it would be guts and then it would be tearing. And then I would also make sure with the voices of the victim while they're screaming, there's at the end of the scream there has to be some sort of peace
2: how do you get people psyched up to do such difficult voice acting asks as scream as though you're being eviscerated but find peace at the end of it like what what is your directorial approach for something like that
7: I feel like it's, like, one of those things that when you work with, like, really good actors and really good writers – and I've been fucking blessed, dude. Like, Darkest Night was literally my first audio drama, audio drama. And I've gotten to work with, like – dude, like, working with someone like Dennis. I mean, when you when you work with someone like Dennis, you don't tell Dennis what to do. Dennis sees things that you don't and makes the project something different. And you learn from Dennis. And
2: Dennis plays Dr. Kinsler
7: yeah. in season one? Yeah. When, when, when you hear Lee Pace, that – Lee, and you work with Lee Pace. Lee Pace is so freaking good, dude. Like, Lee Pace is like one of those dudes that's like, I don't know if, like, I think the, I never really became a huge fan of his work until I started working with him and started learning more about him, you know, in a weird way. But he did, I'm trying to remember the name of this movie, but he did this movie where he played uh, 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 a transgender uh, stripper. Soldiers Girl. Watch that shit. Dude, Lee Pace, if he got, like, two or three huge-ass roles, it could be, like, an Academy Award-winning dude. Like, he's that good. If you, like, watch him in that movie, like, that's a dude who, like, knows people so well that he – that character, like, literally I, – I can't tell you how many people who are in that same kind of role who've lived that life that that character is who – the way he does two or three little things in them, like, they see it and they say, me too. Wow. You know what I'm saying? I feel like that's the power of a really good actor. And so I feel like when when we do these episodes, it's very much an energy thing. It's very much uh we we go through it once. It's not as much about me telling them what to do unless they're not doing the right thing. And it's like me trying to help point them in the right direction. And it's more about us like feeling it. And, and it's more about us creating an energy that's like this is what we love. And in this business, people who are even entertainers don't really spend enough time creating – when you're in that mode and you're in the studio and you're whatever, let's fucking enjoy it and let's fucking be present in the moment and let's feel it. And people get it. Like people who are really good actors are constantly thinking about why people make decisions, why they do what they do, who they are, and how to get that person to say and feel me too. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, that does make sense. Thank you.
7: Yeah. Yeah. So I mean – I think with darkest night I've been what I'll be very conscious about in terms of like directors because I really I, I really try to get actors who I really like and who can add to the thing and do their own spin on everything and be them you know I, I obviously like want certain things to come out in a certain way, but I feel like the best things are are when you have a bunch of really talented people who all have things to add to the equation I feel like the one thing I might be stickling a stickler about is someone doesn't feel the character or if someone doesn't know how to deliver an important line exactly how I need to with transitions and things like that. That's the only thing I'll be a stickler about. But yeah, man, I mean, we've, we've been really freaking blessed and, and God, like learning from all these, like, like the second Lee put down his voice on Darkest Night, it became a completely different project. You know?
2: I want, I want to go back to this idea that you had about kind of putting in the heaviest stuff wrapped in a joke. Or wrapped in kind of like a kind of a curveball delivery, um, and it's it's related to some of the sound design and just sort of the overall what I would conceive of as like the gross out factor to Darkest Night that makes it kind of campy and fun. Like let's pull out eyeballs, cut off toes with a bolt cutter, feed someone their friend's tongue. Are there lines that you don't intend to cross with Darkest Night? Is there anything that you've determined is too gross to depict that wouldn't be wouldn't be worth it?
7: for the gross out factor. There's definitely lines. I won't cross with darkest night, but they're not about like shock value or anything like that. Um, I think the first season was, was, was a little bit more shallow than what the second season is. Um, like, I like, again, I'm not above fucking killing a baby. I'm not above uh, cannibalism. I'm not above any of that. Um, but what I do think is more scary and more interesting. of, And where I want to go into more with darkest night is like talking about things that are more real, giving people who don't usually have voices, voices trying to hit the head on the nail again. And like our psyche and things that we're personally scared of and why, you know, and I want to be like talking about more societal issues. I think horror is a great place to be doing that, you know? So episode three of this season is like an all uh, black cast written by a black writer. Um, And Uh, is about like a black fraternity and uh, the whole pressure of this, of the main character is like, you know, to be a educated black man, you have to be in this fraternity and all these things. And I think that's an interesting perspective that I never thought about before. And being in that situation, you can see how scary so many of those situations and those frats can be, you know? And then one of the things that we're really trying to touch on this season is like sexual assault. We have like an episode all about sexual assault, uh, I think we have uh, we have an LGBT episode that that I think is really cool because it like normalizes things that as a society we're scared of. But as a society, we normalize things that we shouldn't. And I think with that episode, we try to flip that on its head a little bit. And so I think with Darkest Night, it's not as much about what I won't do is about what are the when you're willing to really go out there and do whatever. You should be using that for good and to make a point, you know. Yeah, that's more what I want to be doing with Darkest Night. So I'll I'll fucking say whatever if it if it's for the good of something. So I'm still
2: as as we've established, I'm pretty ignorant of horror as a genre. But like from what little I've know, to, I, I know I've noticed that it tends to have like a punitive or cathartic element to it. There's like a moral calculus in play in a lot of, at least in the first season, you killed my daughter, so I'll torture you to death. You sold the d- drugs that killed my brother. So now you'll get your comeuppance from the devil. Uh, but sometimes what appear to be decent, well-meaning people get murdered horribly, like the brothers in In the Basement or um, Eli and Elizabeth in Wine and Dine. And I was curious what motivated those choices.
7: I think first off in horror, I love not really having innocent characters because realistically, there's very few characters on Darkest Night that are actually truly innocent when you get to the core of it.
2: Maybe. I mean, I I remember thinking uh, that the, the brothers that like the scam artist brothers that do like ghost stuff, like maybe that's a little a little skeezy. But I wasn't sure, like, that they met the same, like, category for, oh, yeah, that's a deserved, like, cathartic kill
7: when those dudes get it. No, but they're not innocent either. Okay. You know, and I think I think at the end of the day with life, getting what you deserve isn't scary. No? No. What do you mean? Like, for example, like, I feel like retribution in and of itself isn't scary. If you get what you don't deserve and people can believe that anything could happen to them at any moment and that it could be truly horrific and they could be pretty normal but have a couple little flaws mm-hmm. that's the scariest thing cool yeah like at the end of the day like what Hitler and Chris Cornell had the same death Let's let's put it like that and I think we can easily say that Chris Cornell made the world a better place and Hitler did not
2: I think that's a pretty easy thing to say, even (laughs) if you didn't like Chris Cornell's music. You know, that's a sure. okay, yes.
7: But what's but what's scarier to you right now that like the only bad things that could happen to you in this moment are things that you deserved or that right now. Anything could happen. Anything,
2: I guess. I guess the notion (laughs) that like anything could happen isn't. Isn't really at the top of my mind, but rather that like if I'm haunted by guilt uh, and I I, like anticipate something coming, I think I would be more frightened by that. Like, you know, I could I could be killed in a car accident every time I get into a that's like way more likely than any other kind of death for me. Um, Yeah, I don't know. But like this shouldn't this shouldn't this shouldn't go in the podcast but i had like a minor cancer scare like two years ago yeah like really like it was nothing like i had like this weird um high white blood cell count and i didn't and it was it was just stress related uh and i just felt like weird and guilty and like why am i you know like what if i die this way what if i have leukemia and that that was really terrifying um I don't know, maybe I'm supporting your point because I felt like I didn't I didn't like do anything to deserve like that weird little genetic luck of the draw.
7: Yeah. I don't know. But the thing is the scary thing about life slash the most amazing things about life are things that you don't deserve.
2: <laughs> I guess it kind of depends on what you mean by like deserve. You know? Like I've got I've got flat feet. I don't deserve flat feet, but if I like murdered a guy in michigan i probably deserve to be put away for that yeah i feel like i've
7: got i feel like i've gotten away from your point though but my point is like you know going back to your scare right because it sounds to me like yeah. it was a short it was a pretty short scare you said it was like a two-week scare
2: uh ca- like a month or two
7: that's so. that's that's some time to ruminate about shit
2: yeah that was like, you know, have I have I been a decent person? Have I lived a, a a righteous life, you know? I haven't yet appeared on television with a muppet. Have I really have I really done my life's work? <laughs> that's the that's the that's the rubric, by the way. That's my metric. Dude, but that's scary that's some scary shit. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I'm not dead. I don't have cancer. Knock on wood. You know, but it was like it was a ter- it was a terrifying time.
7: But I'm sure in a certain way like did like what what changed when you came out of it
2: um i mean not not much especially i've always been like a literally stop and smell the flowers kind of person uh so i don't i don't actually think very much changed as a result of that scare or maybe it did in ways that i'm not cognizant of i don't know i've always been like weirdly cognizant of the immediate possibility of death I don't know if that's just because I'm kind of a depressive person. But I'm like, oh, I could I could die any minute. So I better eat this sandwich, like, with gusto, <laughs> whatever. <Yeah. laughs>
7: but there's a certain beauty in that, man. Sure. But that's what I love is I, I love having those kind of conversations with people. Like, you were telling me about that experience in your life, you know? Like, I think those, those kind of stories, nobody sh- – you know, like, for example, the first thing you said is you wanted to not put that in the podcast. And like my whole mode in life is like, hey, if I were li- if I were in an, an, a listener, chances are. You have people listening to the show who are going through the exact same thing, if not worse. And the fact that they see someone who's like the voice of audio drama and killing it at your young age and doing everything you're doing <laughs> and and that like you've taken something out of that and you evaluate that point in your life and, and they can say me too that's so powerful bro and um, I think that that's what we as a society need to do more is is figure out ways to kind of connect and to kind of talk about real things going on and I, I think in a weird way like the more I'm like connecting with people and getting outside of my shell in the last couple of weeks I've been noticing so many people who have who feel like every time they feel something strongly, they have to just – they have to like hold it in and they have to say that I, I'm not a sad person, I'm not a depressed person or they have to care what so many people think about them. And they weren't blessed enough to find that like those people in their life that are like, you're beautiful, feel you, be you and let's talk about things when you're going through it and help each other out.
2: I think that's a, I think that's a good note to, uh, to close out on. Alex, thank you so much. This was such like an illuminating conversation. It was so good to get to know you, to get to meet you finally.
7: Thank you, David, and thank you for everything you do for the audio drama community. It's my pleasure. You are welcome back anytime. Have a great afternoon, and uh, thanks for keeping audio drama alive. <laughs> sure.
2: Thank you, Alex. You can follow Alex's podcast network on Twitter. They're at Paragon Podcast, or you can check out Darkest Night at Darkest Night Pod. Thank you for listening to Radio Drama Revival. If you liked what you heard, let us know by subscribing and writing a review on your favorite podcasting service. We do this show as a labor of love, and that means we partially run on love. But we are running out of time, and that means I gotta read some credits. Our theme music, swirling up gently like dark tendrils of groove, is Danger Did You Do by DJ Stranger Danger. You can find his music on SoundCloud. Now, the theme of this week's credits is the Spoopy. Our line producer is Matthew Boudreaux, who once ran a haunted wood shop. Everyone that used it got a splinter. Ooh. Our interview's producer is Eli McElveen, who takes nature photographs. Of ghosts. Ooh. Our researchers are Heather Cohen and Monique Boudreau. In their spare time, they like to play bridge. With the devil? No, that doesn't, that doesn't work poor people to play bridge or does it our executive producer is fred Greenhouge, who lives in maine which is the nation's leading producer of industrial grade refined spoopy i'm your been dead this whole time and now i'm going to fade into miss david reinstrom and this has been radio drama revival all storytellers welcome matt take it away Play the clip, Matthew. Take it away, Matt. Matthew, take it away.
4: And now, an ad from Dad. All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what. man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff that's solid that's not veneer that's solid stuff
1: Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto Progressive casualty insurance company affiliates and other insurers discounts not available in all states or situations and now an ad from dad
4: (coughs) All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive can I take these off alright what is this this looks good wow that's what. man. where did you get this I'm talking to you with the hair yeah where did you get this it's good stuff